Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 106. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Alistair Stewart. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on to the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we reverse engineer it. We straight up put that thing on the table and start working out why there's a spiky bit over here, what the hell's going on with that light, all that good stuff. You, you remember that movie, Payback with Ben Affleck? I'm oh sorry. Yes. I saw that too. <laughs> Imagine the central concept in that of reverse engineering something to work out how to make it better and remove all the awful bits, which in the case of that film, and I say this as a man who believes that Affleck is probably the finest monologue artist on the face of the earth, is literally everything else. Focus <laughs> not on the terrible Philip K. Dick adaptation. Focus not on Ben's weirdly wide shoulders and why is he so hairy? No, no, none of that matters. None of it. The only thing that matters is this, that we are going to take a story which almost works and make it completely work. Yes, absolutely. In, in our never-ending quest for literary gold, uh, indeed. And and you're right, Ben Affleck does have weirdly wide shoulders. I never realized that. I, I, I cheerfully admit he's one of my hetero man crushes, so <laughs> I have paid attention to his shoulders from time to time. He's, he's just, he is a freakishly large man. He looks slight, slightly like someone has drawn a Bruce Tim mid-1990s style animated version of Ben Affleck. <laughs> And I'll never look at Ben Affleck the same. Uh, <laughs> Alistair Stewart, uh, uh, evil genius of the escape artists, uh, including four fabulous podcasts and the Mothership Zeta quarterly digital fiction magazine, uh, uh, game crafter, uh, and all manner of awesome, a general man of words and foodie and good friend. Thank you so much for coming back and being my co-host for this episode, bud. Thank you for having me on, Dave. I love doing this. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And and let's just keep the love rolling. Uh, let's let's bring a guest host in here and just just to have this a big big massive hug of internet proportions, dear friends. Back from a marvelous twenty minutes with that was long overdue. Uh, please welcome back to the big comfy chair here at the Roundtable Virtual Studios, Mer Lafferty. Uh, Mer, hi guys. Hey, she hey, has Mer. arrived. Uh, uh, chair comfy. Everything good over there? I'm great. Thank you. Sweet. Awesome. We do like our guests to be comfortable. Uh, I, I, it was, uh, we've had opportunity to, to chance across each other at Gen Con and at Worldcon this year, which has been a delight, uh, uh, but also more myrrh than I usually have in a year. Uh, crammed into a month, and that was marvelous. And I gotta say, it's it's great to have you back uh, on the Skype line talking story. Uh, but I also gotta tell you, I'm really pumped about brainstorming a story with you, ma'am. So thank you so much. Oh sure, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, plenty of room here at the Roundtable Studios. Um, but before we get into that, uh, Mer, your your work has been audioed. It's been texted, it's been e-texted, it's soon to be videoed, uh, uh, and as I recall, you did a thing with J.R. Blackwell where it was photographed as well. Oh, yeah. You've kind of spanned the media spectrum of, of speculative fiction, which is kind of badass. What do you got coming up in the weeks and months ahead that our listeners should be aware of? It's funny, you've got me looking around my office to see if I have a copy of what I did with J.R. Blackwell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I have one. Oh, hey. that needs to be fixed. Anyway, 
Sorry. Um, uh, coming up, I have Six Wakes, which is my clone murder mystery in space coming out this January. I just sent off the page proofs yesterday and driving home thought of two more edits I wanted to do, which is how <laughs> it goes. Um, other than that, there's nothing I can talk about. Oh, oh, see, that's kind of exciting, though, because that implies that there's this whole horde of shadowy project figures lurking behind you and they're just going, shh. All right, friend. What about conventions? Any conventions you're planning on attending? No, actually, I'm done with conventions for the year. I am now currently looking at um, conventions around book launch. So I'm trying to decide whether I want to do Boscone or Confusion in mm. Detroit okay. uh, for the winter. But I'm doing Helsinki uh, Worldcon next year. But that's hey. pretty much all I have planned. Okay. Okay. Well, if, if you make it to Confusion, uh, uh, we I can buy you a drink. Awesome. Uh, and and I'll definitely, and you can return the favor to me in Helsinki because me and Terry are definitely going to make that scene. Excellent. Awesome. Very cool. Well, all right. So six weeks, that goes in the liner notes and we'll put in uh, Helsinki and the possibility of boss cone or confusion. Awesome. Al, what about you, my friend? Uh, uh, what what fabulosity is is percolating uh, uh, in your in your writer's studio? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Um, having now moved and settled in and rescued the coffee pot and everything. <laughs> I'm firing back up on, on the regular features at Tor.com. Uh, nice. I've got a couple of those to write this coming week. Um, I have a creator-owned RPG, which should hopefully be kickstarting early 2017. And um, this has been one of the most positive creative experiences of my life. It's been with a, a chap called Jason Peter, who runs uh, Genesis of Legend, which is a tiny creator-owned um, and kind of indie RPG company. And the, the RPG industry is very interesting in that it tends to be quite binary. There are, it's full of very nice people, but there are people who are very good, and there are people who try. And Jason is very good at everything. <laughs> um, and he contacted me, getting on, uh, this, this thing's been going on a while now. He contacted me, getting on for 18 months ago, and said, you know, I really like your stuff, I love your writing style, I understand you're a gamer, pitch me something. And I threw three or four ideas at him. Um, as you do, as I do, uh, on one of them hit and we're now 25,000 words into it Booyah. and I, I, I get to put another 8,000 words in. And then, like I say, we kickstart early 2017 and I'm hopefully going to be doing some fiction to tie in with that as well. And we'll see where we go. So that I've got that going on. I have brilliantly, genuinely something I am not currently allowed to talk about, Ooh. which I think is the first time that's ever happened to I me. I think so too. Uh, Holy crap. And, of course, Escape Artists. Uh, you know, we have the four shows, Escape Pod, Pseudopod, Podcastle, Cast of Wonders, and Mothership Zeta that most kicking ass with. Uh, Except the for the uh, promotion, which is also what I have coming up in the next couple of months. <laughs> See, sorry. this is why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to interrupt and sorry to forget. Uh, <laughs> There's that honesty again. There's that honesty right there. <laughs> it, 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 it's fine. This is why we have a team. You guys remember that the magazine needs to come out at some point, And from time to time, I remember that I need to promote it. It's all good. We got this. Anyway, <laughs> so we've got all that going on at the moment as well. And I'm doing a narration for Beneath Ceaseless Skies very soon. And I've got a couple of other things going on. And basically, we, we try and draw this line in the sand over here at Agathon Towers, where on September 30th, <laughs> we, we, we basically just go, no, we don't, nothing new comes aboard as of October 1st. And the last three months of the year are all, we finish off all the stuff that we've been doing. 
And we've been doing this for the last two or three years, and you can always tell when we're getting to that because you get to the point two or three weeks out where suddenly four or five new projects just appear and go, oh, me, 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 <laughs> me. You can do me in three weeks, right? <laughs> so that's kind of where I am right now. Understood. And and do I have it right? You're, you name your habitation Agathon Towers? We, Agathon Towers is more of a floating concept than an actual location. Um, it's where you are at the moment. Yes. Got yeah. you. Well, I mean, I... We, we both identified tremendously with Hilo and Athena from, from the, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica because, you know, bless him, Hilo is a large, amiable, competent dude who gets left behind for two seasons and then everyone goes, <laughs> goes back and goes, oh, you're not dead. Hi, Carl. <laughs> and, and he doesn't hit anybody about that. He's, <laughs> I, I, I relate to him an awful lot, and, and as a result of that and several other things, the nickname Agathon Towers kind of stuck for the house a couple of years ago. I think everybody should have a name for that creative place in your in your heart. Uh, that's badass. Awesome. All right. Mer, Al, all that stuff gets in the liner notes. There'll be clicky clicks uh, uh, to be made and, and interest generated, and, and who knows what other else is going to happen. Here's, here's what I'd like to do now. Uh, I want to just take a short pause and give some podcast airtime to uh, another fabulous podcast, or perhaps for a Kickstarter or an ebook, some some fabulosity that's going on out in the world. And then when we come back, Al, Murr, I would love to brainstorm a story with you both. What do you say? I'm in. I'm in. Awesome. We have we have it. We have an accord, mates. So very cool, friends. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. On Earth, we surf. We skydive. We fly like squirrels. We walk high wires. We jump out of spaceships. But look out, galaxy, because here we come. Fast and furious, tearing into the sky for the most extreme human adventure in the universe. Moon marathons, supernova surfing, gas giant storm riding, alien mountains and gravity games, and so much more. Extreme tech, extreme danger, extreme environments. Ten books at the extremes of human imagination and endurance for one low price. Top voices in science fiction and a few fresh faces bring you a bundle packed to the gills with brand new adventures. Extreme Science Fiction. Kicking ass now, only at storybundle.com. Offer ends October 6th. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here, the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And that badassery does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding forward to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair to set a table of brainstorming goodness for us to dive into. And friends, uh, people might wonder why our guest writer for this episode is such a fan of superpowers and masks. Well, it, it might have something to do with the fact that he spent his summers at Titan Towers growing up, that he interned at Wayne Tech his senior year in high school, and clerked for Nelson and Murdoch while putting himself through college. Today, he's the program director for the Adventure Frequency, an audio adventure destination on the web. And when he isn't writing or recording for the AdventureFrequency.com, our guest writer spends his free time as an active volunteer with Searchers, Inc. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair, Kane Dorr. 
Kane, dude, uh, you're up early, and I respect that. But even more so, uh, uh, it's it's never easy putting your baby up for scrutiny, even even among such gentle souls as you have uh, gathered for this particular episode. But, uh, dude, hats off and respect and kudos for the bravery and cojones to do this, man. We really appreciate it. Sam, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Dude, before we dive into this, just real quick, what is Searchers, Inc.? Oh, it's a property with DC Comics. Um, when I was filling out that bio, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, I just um, it, it it's not as well known. You know, it's more like a probably like a throwback to adventure movies from the sixties and seventies that they did as a comic in the eighties. Oh, very cool, kind of a pulp thing. Yeah, very cool. Well, then, if by God, if you're gonna be an active volunteer somewhere, be a, be a pulpy active volunteer that's That's awesome very cool very cool well Kane, you know how this works we give you five to eight minutes uh uh you give us the title the genre your audience uh tagline any themes you may have worked up introduce us to the world the characters give us the the basic tent poles of the story that you're working with and and that will be like lighting a fuse on a brainstorm bomb uh and that's all we want so so i'm gonna get out of the way dude the mic is all yours. All right, thank you. Well, my story is an alternate reality superhero mashup, tentatively called Nighthawk and the Falconers. Uh, the hook is a brash loner pilot finding himself trapped in a multiverse ship, leaking its cargo between worlds, must overcome his singular outsider existence and develop a team that can assist him in stopping the leak and saving the multiverse. Uh, the theme is uh, unique, a unique being. In a sea of alternates, must learn to accept himself as he is before uh, he can truly belong at any level. Um, in the world, the story takes place in a manufactured space between realities of the multiverse, uh, created by a particular kind of multiverse ship that folds interdimensional space and allows for travel between realities. This technology was created from a laboratory experiment intended to fold time, but something went wrong. Uh, it allows for existing in multiple realities rather than just one. It is still relatively new, highly temperamental, and requires precision and determination to master and control. Uh, the characters. The primary protagonist is named Tyler Levant. Um, as far as Tyler knows, rather than being born into a singular reality of the multiverse, Levant was almost created in the very same lab accident that created the technology. Uh, once it was discovered that the fabric of reality was folded instead of time, a new type of existence was now possible for untold numbers of billions of alternates around the multiverse. Uh, in the intense study of tech and its effects, Levant was discovered to have no duplicate in any known alternate reality anywhere. Labeled a prime, he stands alone in the multiverse as a truly unique individual, uh, or so he thinks. Uh, his greatest strength is the ability to think on his feet in a crisis. His greatest weakness, uh, he doesn't know how to interact in a group. He's a loner. He stands out. Uh, his greatest fear is overreaching and failing at it. And his greatest desire is to either find the one reality he should exist in or figure out how to unlock all of his alternates from within the multiverse. Having no family or culture to call his own, Tyler resides with an informal group of scientific adventurers who test the dimensional folding technology and catalog the various alternate realities they find. He quickly finds that people have a pattern and rhythm to life that runs across all of their alternates. 
having none of this on his own to compare to, he is constantly searching for one and finds his life lacking purpose and meaning. Primary antagonist is known as the Imera, a lean and mean, savage bipedal beast with a mouthful of razor sharp teeth that proves to be the only other prime in existence after they discover him. Uh, once discovered, the Imera's origin and reality is recorded and preserved in a dimensional sphere that copies any reality down to the atomic level for further study and then transport it back to a proper laboratory for further in-depth study. Hopes of unlocking additional technology breakthroughs will have to wait, however, as the Imera, also a powerful psychic, wants out of the sphere quite badly. With the psionically charged Imera pushing uh, from within the sphere and the multidimensional ship bending the fabric of reality outside the sphere, the opposing forces cause a meltdown, trapping Levant between realities with the leaking dimensional sphere spilling its contents out into the surrounding realities from the crash. Uh, with technology continuing failing on him, Levant turns to an ancient artifact uh, known as the Falcon Day to project himself outside his ship and the dimensional bubble he's entombed in. Levant finds that he's able to exist in the surrounding realities only as a dark wisp of a wraith-like being uh, with limited tangibility but full of immense raw power who's quickly labeled Nighthawk by the Earthlings who spot him in the surrounding realities. Nighthawk's power is matched only by that of the Imera, who is also broadcasting himself out of the dimensional sphere and into the surrounding realities. Unlike Levant, however, the Imera seems to be quite tangible outside the bubble and leaves only an imprint of its psychic self behind in the sphere as an anchor tethering to the sphere. Uh, this anchor is causing a leak in the sphere and is flooding the surrounding realities with all sorts of beings and creatures from within the sphere in that one reality. Um, not all of these creatures are Earth-based homo sapiens either. If the leak can't be stopped, it's going to be real bad. So while the Imera feasts on the psionically weak, soft, pink, fleshy humans that exist of this quarter of the multiverse, getting stronger with each kill and causing the leak to widen with each passing day, Levant begins collecting a troop of youths who've been overwritten by their alternates from within the sphere and turns them into a team of superhero sidekicks dubbed the Falconers. Uh, taking command of his Falconers, Nighthawk orders them to hunt down and kill the Imera. This message is a, fair, is a tolerable failure. Uh, people die. Uh, several of the surrounding realities begin to destabilize as the walls of the multiverse begin to fade and collapse in on themselves near the sphere as the Imera uh, doubles down on its tether, causing even more strain. The area is so destabilized that Levant is unable to project himself through the Falcon Day any longer. Not knowing what to do, but unable to stand by and watch his own demise, he decides to jack straight into the sphere to hunt the Imera's psychic anchor left behind in the sphere, hoping that cutting the tether into its physical form out into the surrounding realities will end the madness. He goes in there on his own, out of desperation, but He's out of his element and continually disoriented as a prime in the sphere. Levant finds himself in trouble when, out of nowhere, uh, his falconers who he's been training show up in their own accord without even being called. They aid him in tracking and taking down the psychic link that Mera has in the sphere. With the link cut, the leak can be repaired and the sphere stabilized. Uh, Levant projects himself as a new and improved Nighthawk into the surrounding realities, and he and his falconers hunt down the Imera and get it back into the sphere, 
as Levant now realizes that every being in the multiverse is a prime in one way or another. He, simply is he was simply rewarded uh, with an understanding of it and control over it when displaced in the lab accident. So he's not really, no one is a prime and everyone is a prime. And it kind of takes him a while to figure that out. Um, there is a quadrant of the multiverse where he belongs and he will go and find it after he leads the Falconers on missions to track and collect the escaped beings and creatures from the sphere. He gets everything back in that has escaped and strengthens the barriers between realities. And that last paragraph is kind of the pitch extended beyond the, this particular <laughs> for, story. For all the spinoffs to come. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Wow. Mind blown, dude. Very, very cool. Kane, what are you hoping to get out of the next uh, half hour, 45 minutes of brainstorming, man? Um, which is like what you said, uh, to strengthen one the one particular story about uh, you know the two prime creatures kind of having to come to terms with themselves and do battle and just having one better story. Okay. Very cool. I, I think we can help. Uh, in fact, I'm fairly confident that we can. Uh, but before we do that, we, we must cover our ass. Uh, Al, would you be so kind, sir? I'm on it. Kane, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's very important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Mur could be bullshit. <laughs> this is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Okay? You got it. I understand. Sweet. Cool. <laughs> We're off the hook. <laughs> awesome. Then let's roll into this bad boy. And we always kick off with a quick once around the table for, for first impressions uh, uh, and any questions of clarification uh, that, that might have popped up during that pitch. Uh, and we always start with our guest host. So, Mer Lafferty, start us off. What are your first impressions of Kane's story idea? And do you have any questions of clarification that need to be put out there? Uh, my first impressions is I love the uh, alternate reality multiverse uh, storytelling. That yeah. one's it's a lot of fun with literally infinite possibilities. <laughs> exactly. um, because I like to focus. Uh, I want to know what your opening scene is because I I got a little lost in the description as to what is backstory and what is the actual story you're writing. Mm. Uh, it's totally going to start off with a. Uh, Batman leading his sidekicks kind of, uh, you know, on the hunt and then right in the middle of the superhero action kind of story. And then, and then looking back and feeding the backstory in as you, as you go, as the characters interact on their mission. Okay. So, so the Falconers, your, your, your opening scene is, is the Falconers going off to hunt down the hell beast, uh, uh, led by Nighthawk, and then we'll understand why they're there and how they got there and all that stuff through, through backflashes and, and exploration. Uh, all right. Do you, do you have character sketches for the sidekicks? Yeah, every one of them. Okay. <clears throat> There's only room for the two main characters in, in the pitch that Dave sent. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. So each one is modeled out, uh, both physically a little bit after a character that I admire, and then there's a whole internal person. You know, with they're all about they're all kind of older teens. You know, some of them are, are missing a sibling or an orphan, and some of them are dealing with real world stuff going on. And 
Well, and I think as, as we move other, forward and start exploring some of the themes, keep keep that palette of, of support characters in mind. And, and you know, if, if Murr or Al or myself starts going down a certain road, you can say, yes, we can have this character pick that up and, and work, work from it that way. Okay, you got it. Cool. Any other questions or observations, Murr? Not initially. Okay, cool. Al, over to you, sir. First impressions and questions of clarification. Um, clarifications, I'm pretty much good to go, especially with the, the follow-ups that, that you just gave me. Uh, first impressions are, this is really, really good, and I can tell you've put an awful lot of work into this. <laughs> if yes. I have a concern going into it, it's, it's really twofold. There's one which we'll get to in a minute, and the other is, this feels like a very long story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This feels like a story which I'm genuinely not sure you can or more importantly, should do in one book. Yeah, I can. I can see that. I can yeah, see I that. agree. Now, the 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 other one, and this this is a, a slightly weird one, and I freely admit this is my inherently British Doctor Who brain talking, but <laughs> it strikes me that you have this really interesting, really well laid out backstory, and it strikes me that at the moment. Even taking into account what you said about how you you know you're going to start when they go off to kill the the beast before the the walls of reality collapse and everything will be told in flashback. At the moment, a lot of those flashbacks don't. I don't quite see how they're going to carry everything across. Now, I mentioned in Invoke Doctor Who a little bit because I wonder whether the one possible way into this for you is through one of the Falconers, because. Mm-hmm. Then you have the classic superhero slash person stumbles into telephone box at most important and worst possible time for them to do so narrative where you have them recruited, you have them trained, they start to figure out everything that's going on and then they just, they start to discover the truth. And that instantly does two really important things. It anchors your readers to an inherently relatable character. And at the same time, it also ensures that all this huge amount of work you put in, you can show off. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. Actually, that was that was very similar to something I was going to raise. So yeah, absolutely. You're, you're talking about making one of the Falconers the POV character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I, I I think I think because the to- the concepts that you're putting forth, while very intimately familiar to to any uh, Doctor Who fan, uh, and I think spec readers in general are kind of inured to the ah multiple realities, got it, unpacking of things. Uh, we still need that gateway, that portal into the weirdness, and and taking one of the Falconers as they get approached by this shadowy, wispy character and infuses them with power i mean that's an origin story and everybody loves an origin story i agree 100 <laughs> percent uh al anything else sir nothing much straight up like i say my my other big thing was this feels like a trilogy or perhaps more pertinently this feels like a series of novellas mm-hmm. i mean i and, and this is something which, which doesn't really get covered in my bio i'm i'm a comic guy i i was really taught how to think about story and narrative through two separate, very complementary streams. And one which was whichever American drama series the BBC had bought that year. And the other was comics. I spent seven years as a comic retailer. So, and I spent seven years as a comic retailer during a period where Marvel had so little money at one point they auctioned off their boardroom doors. So uh, I, I have a fairly visceral understanding of how bad 
contemporary comic storytelling can get. I'm always very <laughs> aware of how far we've come from that. But the, the two things which those two elements have in common are the idea of, of a solid arc of you map out four or five stories that you can tell. I mean, this, I mean you know this. This is the beauty of, of superhero fiction. You can tell multiple stories in the same universe and progress your arcs along very comfortably and then pay off. So I wonder whether something like that, something like, uh, I mean, the most obvious example is a friend of both Mers and myself, Matt, Matt Wallace, who's been doing the Sin Du Jour series for Tor, mm -hmm. which is seven novellas, each one of which you can come in on, yeah. get everything you need to know, but you read all of them and you get an arc. And Mike Underwood's uh, genre knots. Genre knots is the other perfect example. Mm -hmm. um, something like that kind of format, I think, would be massively rewarding for both your characters and you, because... Your characters are going to get room to breathe, which means one or two of them is going to elbow their way to the front and demand way more attention than you expect, because that always happens. And it's going to mean you have more room. Sure. And if you have more room, you feel less harried. And if you feel less harried, while urgency in writing is always a good thing, you're going to write better and you're going to explore the stuff which you find fun. So I wonder whether that's a format you might want to take a look at. Well, and really, if you think about it, the structure of those novellas is inherently wired into the story pitch based on those that team of falconers. If each novella focuses and zeroes in on one of the falconer's stories while the larger narrative advances forward and is tied to each falconer's issues, themes, whatever, then you've got this lovely story structure that can culminate with the final chapter being Tyler and, and the big baboom, which will then, of course shatter into a hundred spinoffs and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I'm liking it. Yeah. That. I like it. It works. It, that's something I love about sidekicks is they often have many more flaws than um, <laughs> the hero. And one of the weak points about superheroes is the fact that they don't have a lot of weak points. You've already told us that yours does, but uh, also sidekicks are good at making up for that, such as Robin actually having a personality while Batman does not. Mm -hmm. And calling right. Batman on his shit yes. when, when yes. Batman gets all broken and stuff. L likewise, uh, Arsenal, who was very much the uh, the Robin for Green Arrow. Yeah. And, it's, and just as a, a quick aside, if you ever want to see how to systematically annihilate a character, read up on Arsenal's recent history because some of the stuff that happened is astounding. But <laughs> he was part of the vanguard of the idea of social awareness starting to come into comics. Arsenal was... And I mean, the story reads really kind of overwrought now, but he had a drug problem and it was discovered. Yeah, back when they called him Speedy. Back when they called him Speedy, which yep. leads to my single all-time favorite gag in any comic where there was a, a Devin Grayson scripted Arsenal miniseries getting on for 12 years ago now. And one of the subplots running through it was that the Native American tribe that had raised him would were finally going to give him his name. And... The end of it is they're all sitting around and, and you know, his, his elder comes up to him and goes, from now on, you are not Roy Harper. You are he who once did drugs. <laughs> and, and there are two panels of every other character holding an absolutely straight face before they bust up laughing. <laughs> and and, and I, that, that, that remains a joke I absolutely cherish. But just to pick up on what, what has been said, sidekicks are, are absolutely the way that you humanize your heroes. So, yeah, something that focuses on them would be a really good plan. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm liking how this is going. Kane, how are you feeling about that? Uh, this is not great stuff. 
Okay. I, I, I am leaning more toward uh, more smaller pieces, and the goal here is to create like a, a, hu- a huge universe, kind of like the way, even though it's inside of DC Comics, like the Green Lantern is kind of its own universe, and then just tell, tell whatever kind of story I want inside of that. So, yeah. Sure, sure. This is Absolutely. all going well. Awesome. Very cool. For for my observations, I, I will echo what everyone has also said. This the the structure, the framing that you've done for this is awesome. Uh, uh, multiple realities is is oh, uh, uh, there's lots of story food. Obviously, I think the peril of multiple uh, multiple i.e. infinite realities is can be paralyzing. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to be an issue for you, but just as you move down the road, uh, having a race that exists or, or beings or people that exist between those realities uh, uh, creates deities, potential deities for all intents and purposes. And understanding the mechanics of how that works is going to be important. It sounds like you've got that down. I did totally twig on the ship TARDIS uh, uh, resonance. Uh, it, it very much felt like this experimental ship that moves between realities had that TARDIS vibe, and that was mostly just a mm, be careful. Uh, uh, you know, there's 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 good stuff to be mined there, but also a flag of uh, uh, not wanting to uh, affiliate too closely with an existing property. Uh, the things that really jumped out for me was the notion that Tyler is a prime which is a cool concept, and that the beast, the hell beast that is going to be our primary antagonist for this arc of stories is also a prime. And if, if you're going to set that up, if that's going to be a case, and I think it's very cool that it does, you've got a polarity there. You've, you've got instantly a, a, a dynamic exchange and an attraction because Tyler would be drawn to this beast uh, uh, to understand his nature. Uh, uh, perhaps through some sort of understanding. And that could be like one of those temptation moments where the hero is tempted over to the dark side. Uh, uh, and that could be something that the beast could exploit and explore. Well, the uh, thing that just occurred to me, you said Tyler was created, right? Well, they think so at the beginning when the when the technology happens and they, they can't find a copy of Tyler anywhere. Well, well, my thought was if he was created then the there could have been a mistake and that is the connection he has with the beast exactly okay they're both they're both mistakes they're both aberrations or they're both part of the same whole right Ooh, nice and and then the 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 resolution then oh see and that's a wonderful metaphor is embracing your beast and they must they must come together tyler must become imara imara must become tyler in order to heal that rift that's kind of badass. I, I like it. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. Nope, no stealing. Nope. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's totally right That's what there. we're here for. That's right, dude. Um, now, one thing that popped up for me that really caught my attention was Tyler lives with a group of science adventurers. And instantly, Fast and the Furious came to mind. Uh, and and your, your squad of crack dudes that have all the awesomeness. Um, now... That's not going to work with the current structure that we're exploring with focusing on each of the uh, uh, heroes that Tyler imbues and cultivates over the course of, of the story. But damn, the idea of a bunch, you know, a whole Doc Savage crew or Fast and Furious crew, there's there's mileage there and they, they don't show up in the pitch as it is. And I'm just going to put on the table. I would love to see them involved somehow or or i don't know maybe some side fiction but i think there's there's good uh uh cool genre story food to explore there as well well that's true it wouldn't be 
A, it wouldn't be difficult to recast him as a science fiction-y Buck Rogers kind of a look if you look at it the other direction. But also, there's plenty of story to be told for when you know you peel back the cowl and Batman's back at Wayne Manor and he's confiding in Alfred or, or sure. Leslie, whatever. So, I mean, um, <clears throat> reaching out to those characters is totally doable and there's a different look on the same story. Just a concern that there would, it would complex complexify Make more complex, that's a word, okay, good, uh, uh, the narrative that you're telling. Again, in a novella, you don't have as much room to work with, so you can only have right. so many POV characters. If you start you know, building a huge cast of thousands, uh, the novella structure kind of breaks down. But you just something to put on the back burner. Um, Murr, let's dive into this. Where, where do you want to start uh, I mean, technically, we've already started, obviously, but where where do you want to dig in as far as stuff that needs to be explored or maybe shored up uh, for this for this epic storyline that Kane's developing? Well, as I said during my interview, I like the characters and plot, and while the the world is really really well fleshed out, I don't get a sense of the people at all. I agree. And, you know, like you said, he didn't have time to tell us. I'm not saying there's lacking there, but I want to know more about the people and what kind of stories specifically you're going to be telling. Sure. Well, then we'll, uh, the first Falconer will focus on finds himself as an orphan and kind of alone in this strange place. The human person is almost fully uh, taken over by the leakage of the sphere. So that human, we'll call him Mike, He's a part of a family and, you know, has going to school and trying to, has goals of, you know, becoming a police officer or whatever you want to say. Uh, also, no one realizes that the league has almost overtaken him and he doesn't identify as Mike anymore, identifies as a version of himself within the spear. So it's Kane, a real. Let, let me interject just real quick. Um, you're working on plot. This is, mm-hmm. this is very much Mike's plot that you're exploring. Tell us about his character, strengths, weaknesses, desires. Well, uh, Mike's shy. Okay. He feels like he doesn't belong. His, uh, his family isn't close. He sees other families as being very close. His family isn't close, and so he doesn't really feel confident or good about doing anything. So the, the total uh, teenager experience, you know, of um, he wants to, he has all these big dreams. He wants to be a police officer. Um, Why does maybe. Tyler pick him for his first Falconer? Since there's been the most amount of leakage, you know, he's more pliable. So it's not a factor of anything about Mike that says that Tyler says, ooh, he'd make a good Falconer. It's a matter of expediency? No, it's a matter of potency. Okay, but still, it has nothing to do with Mike as a person. It has to do with Mike's ability to be strong and powerful and absorb this power and become a, a cool dude. Is is that, Am I reading that right? Yeah, which is okay. even more of a challenge because they don't know each other, so there's going to be... Lots of conflict. Uh, I'm going to say, um, uh, Murr, what do you think? Um, I I think there's... Totally passed the buck on that. Sorry, Murr. Yeah, thanks. Uh, there, <laughs> I think you have an opportunity for either um, something to strengthen your main character by giving making this guy a complimentary personality which draws him or something to develop a smaller conflict within the group by giving him something that acts counter to your main character, but the power is so cool that he has to bring him on anyway. Mm-hmm. 
So I think you need to to develop something about him that either works with or against your main character. And this is something about his personality that will create something. A dynamic. Add, add, yeah. add dynamic to the group later on down the line. Yeah, I like that. Al, what do you think? I agree with both of you. And I also just wanted to, to put an extra possible level on this, which is if the only reason he's been recruited is because of the, the potency of his abilities. There's an incredibly powerful emotional arc you can drop in there, if you were that way inclined, where you have this figure who is a hero. I mean, he's a slightly grim, slightly unsettling hero, certainly, but he's a hero. And a shy kid who has just been picked up out of his world and told, no, you're special. I, I, need to, you know, I need to work with you. When he digs down into how granular that is and realizes that it's not that he's... It's nothing to do with him. It's more to do with the other versions of him. It's more to do with what he could be. That has a huge amount of potential to it in two different ways. You can use it to explore how your sidekick could potentially feel betrayed. And you could also use it to simultaneously tie into your hero's concerns over, you know, failing and, and underachieving and also have that, have that kind of Maverick from Top Gun moment where someone calls him on his bullshit and says, no, this was an awful thing you did. And almost ground him in that way that his very kind of intangible psychic state stops him from being, where a choice that he makes for very, very good reasons has consequences. I like that. I like that a lot because because yeah. that that then also sets up Tyler for a crisis moment uh, uh, that he perpetuated and begins him down that path of get over yourself, dude. Uh, things things are at stake here. Um, I'm I'm going to come out and say I'm I'm concerned about the 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 notion of these falconers uh, uh, instantly being overwritten by the leakage from the sphere. Um, that concerns mm -hmm. me because you've got this person who exists, who has a personality and a backstory and so on and so forth. And the very first thing you're, you're subjecting the reader to is, yeah, but all that's gone now. And here's the new thing. And you have to go all that backstory and stuff again. I would put to you that the reason these Falconers are candidates for Tyler's imbuing of power is because they're strong enough to stave off the overwrite. So that their personality, for whatever reason, is so strong that when the when the 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 events that that is threatening to overwrite reality grounds in them, they do not change. They fight it off. And the cool thing is, is that you can then there's a there's always that wonderful reference to the Star Trek episode where everybody goes insane and Sulu is swashbuckling through the through the halls and so on and so forth and every Star Trek series has done that because it reveals the true essence of a character if your first blush with this new falconer is here is a reality coming in to change you then it would be like the antithesis it would be like a, a, a electric an opposite electric charge trying to ground in you and we can see the opposite of this character staving it off and then you know he does it and yay and awesome and now here comes the shadowy wispy tyler saying and now you are mine and it's like what the fuck and and so now you've now you've got a structure that reveals character uh, uh gives you a first scene that is kick ass 
raises a bunch of questions, and then an immediate launch into the next scene when Tyler shows up. What do you think? And that is exactly why I wanted to be on this goddamn show. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So uh, uh, that that gives us a grounding in characters. Um, dare I invoke the, so far I haven't heard a single female referenced uh, uh, in the in the story pitching. And again, acknowledging that we didn't get the whole pitch because you only got eight minutes and you did a great job within that eight minutes. Uh, but I'm assuming some of your Falconers are going to be female? Yeah, half. And then also there's going to be the classic uh, elder advisor character and she'll be female also. Okay. Awesome. Good. Good, good, good. Excellent. All right. Um, then, jeez, oh, Louise, we're not done by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. We haven't fixed everything. Uh, uh, Al, what about you? What, what area do you want to dive into? I, uh, because it's me, I, I, I get very hung up on structure for this kind of thing. And, and like I said earlier, you know, I'm, I'm a comic guy by training. So I'm really interested in the opportunities that this kind of universe presents. And one of the questions I, I really wanted to ask was how, how planned is this? Because some of the characters you're mentioning, the, the kind of slightly aged mentor figure, the, the Falconers, the mm-hmm. entire backstory, all of this strikes me as something which could conceivably be spun off into further stories by itself. And I think the question I'm really asking is this, are you prepared for this to go places you aren't, you didn't think it would because I think it's going to. Yeah, actually, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I, I, I don't know. In this stage of my uh, ability to write, I, I kind of feel smothered by too detailed of a, of an outline and a structure that I'm supposed to be following. Just to feel like work rather than play at that point. And so nobody uh, on this call can relate to anything you're talking about right now. Uh, Yeah. I mean, just sit there at the computer and you're like, Oh my God, I have to just follow this roadmap. Boring. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to go places that it's not prepared to go. I am prepared to be calling stories done when the characters themselves are taking me on this crazy ride, uh, that I didn't even plan for. Al, do you have, uh, uh, what, what, just, obviously there was something you're going, oh, this is going to be big. What, what, what's flashing on your potential horizon for this that, that you wanted to caution Kane about? Really, it's, it's the fact that as, as you presented it to us, um, you, you managed to mash several of my favorite buttons in doing so. In, in, <laughs> Good. Your, your, your hero's origin uh, manages to touch on, on elements of Top Gun elements of Stargate, there's a light seasoning of Doctor Who, and then it turns into a, a superhero story. And that's great. I will cross the road for anything that crosses genres. But my suspicion is that it would be quite easy to shortchange the origin. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to explore there, and possibly a lot of really interesting characters. Also, I mean, I was, as you were talking, I was making a couple of notes. And the, the things which I, I find really interesting are there's, there is incredible potential in the fact that Tyler is, as you described it to us, spontaneously created. He just appears in the lab. He's Christ. Uh, and I mean, yeah. You, He's you immaculate can, you can, conception. You can, Does he have okay. a belly button? <laughs> sorry, okay. I, I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you, you can, if you want to, go down the you know, Tom Cruise and Top Gun is secretly John Connor route there. But there's also <laughs> lots of other very 
valid, equally interesting things to do. Also, it's things like I the, the description of capturing the reality within the bubble to, to kind of harvest it and, and explore it and work out what's in there. That really could go one or two different ways. It could be the kind of traditional Stargate thing of, oh, let's go through the colossal hole in space and see what's there. Chances are nothing will kill us. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> or alternatively, that could be Wayland Yutani from Aliens. You know, the, here's, a, here's a new and interesting world. Let's strip mine it. Or the Genesis Project. Let's or use it Genesis as a weapon. Project. And in, in and amongst all that, especially as if you have this at least semi-officially organized, as it starts out before everything goes a, a, a bit pear-shaped, there's a really interesting kind of side issue to consider with this ship that goes out and explores other, other multiverses or other elements of the multiverse, which is what is first contact protocol when everything changes all the time? <laughs> Yeah, and and there's there's a huge meaty chewy story there. Several huge meaty chewy stories there. So I think really that's the, the that, that's the crux of my point that you have thousands of hard points on this idea that you could hang really interesting, really fun, demanding stories off. And I just wanted to make sure you were aware of what you had. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, as you're describing that, the other thing is is that all those buttons that were pushed, each one of those buttons is its own type of story, is its own completely different narrative away from this superhero vibe of Nighthawk and the Falconers because you, it begs questions. You know, Murr asked, does he have a belly button? And there are a hundred questions for every geek and nerd out there. When you'd say multiple realities, it's like, can I meet myself? Can I, can I, what happens when I meet myself? Uh, uh, how can I exploit it? I mean, there, there are those stories to be told. There's the stories of the people that exist between them. There's so much here to be unpacked. And holy crap, you're focusing very coolly on a very specific element. But I, I think Al's right. There's, there's a lot more here than this story or any single story can encompass. You're right, absolutely. Well, in my, my, yeah, my plan is to set the world and then, make a focus for one season and then make a different focus for a season two. And yeah, cool. Sort of like that. So I, I, I absolutely agree. Sense. I may be biased, yeah. but I'd recommend a shared world <laughs> possibility so that other writers can get in on it and explore it. But that's, I'm biased. That's just my thing. So. <laughs> wonder things, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, look, uh, the, the clock is ticking down. Uh, we've, we've covered some serious ground here. I'm going to move us gracefully into that final phase of the roundtable brainstorm, which is that last one time around the table uh, uh, where we each take up the mic and, and give Kane, you know, ideas, inspirations, thoughts, concerns, worries, ideas that didn't get out uh, uh, in the in the brainstorm conversation proper. Uh, basically, fill Kane's pockets with as much literary gold as we possibly can so he can go off and write this thing. Uh, Mur, we'll start with you, ma'am. Uh, what 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 final thoughts do you have for Kane? Okay, I don't, there's, in a story like this, you need to strike a balance between the classic beloved plot lines and tired old tropes. Mm, um, yeah. Like, you know, the, the can I meet myself again, you know, the belly button thing, that was a joke. But those things, they've been told before, and when you tell them, they're going to be different. But uh, one of the most interesting pieces of writing advice I ever got was when you have but this was about endings, but really, if you have an opportunity, like something happens, write down 10 possibilities, like the first 
three will be obvious and the next ones will be creative and the final ones will be so hard to come up with they might be the perfect one and you can take <laughs> this whole idea in a different direction than anybody else has taken it before and you know you'll want to hit the points that people are expecting but don't make that your entire plot line right Right. Because because it is such a well-mined field uh, uh, that the fact that it's it's all too easy to just be regurgitating and repeating what's already been covered. Excellent point. Excellent points. Alf, what about you, sir? Final thoughts? Um, really, one, the best possible way to do this kind of story is very similar to the best possible way to do kind to do lots of other kinds of stories, which is to find some of the best examples of it and map them out. Seriously, sit in front of. I'll give you a few examples, and it will. Chances are, be stuff you already know. But sit in front of one of the things I'm about to give you with a notebook and break it down by structure. Here's what happens in Act One. Here's what happens in Act Two. How does this pan out across the rest of the season? That kind of thing. And you will find very, very quickly three things. You'll find some stuff which is just flat out brilliant, which will depress the hell out of you because you'll go, "I will never in my life be this good." That is a lie push through it <laughs> you will find some stuff which is flat out awful and you'll be amazed ever got made that i know from experience does not improve with rewatches but that actually <laughs> makes you feel better because this yeah you'll look at it and go this piece of shit got finished someone finished this thing and cashed a check i'm there I'm <laughs> idiot. but certainly with the kind of stuff that 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 you're talking about. I mean, I'm I'm not going to in, I'm not going to insult your intelligence and suggest comics because I'm pretty certain, judging by your background, <laughs> you've read just just fine on that score. But take a look at, especially if you if you're looking at the, at the novella format, take a look at really good series drama, because that is, to my mind, the perfect training ground. For this kind of thing. And I mean, the logical stuff to do is is stay in genre. I mean, later seasons of Sliders are absolutely in your wheelhouse for this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, later seasons of Quantum Leap, too. But don't be afraid to move outside genre as well. Because, I mean, there's good advice built, baked into everything. So, you know, take a look at The Wire. Take a look at stuff like Homicide Life on the Street. Take a look at basically anything HBO put out, because they tend to do six to 12 episode short runs, which have a really coherent narrative to them. Work out what you like, work out what you don't like, and most importantly, work out why in each case. And if you graph all this stuff out, and I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I, I, I freely admit I enable my stationary addiction by doing this kind of thing. I go buy new kinds <laughs> of books. Now. But if you graph this stuff out, even across four or five episodes, you'll start seeing patterns. And you'll be able to use those patterns and even better subvert them so they they work for you in a way they don't work for other people. And that's awesome. I'm a big advocate of of deconstructing uh, uh, the things that we love uh, just to understand them. You know, dissecting the frog. The frog may die, uh, uh, but you'll understand that next frog so much better. Yes. Uh, to to wax a metaphor from the twenty minutes Precisely. with. Um, yeah, that's excellent advice. Uh, understanding that structure, the character development, the evolution, top drawer. Uh, for myself, Kane, um, I'm kind of fixated. I, I, something that I just sort of said offhanded that, that Tyler was the immaculate conception. Um, and I can't help my brain from riffing on that, which pretty much makes this, this slathering hell beast who is your antagonist the devil. 
Um, and I don't want to see that dynamic ever end. I think that dynamic, uh, uh, I think, I think, and again, this might be complete bullshit. This falls squarely under that category, but mm-hmm. I would love at the end of this thing, first of all, I'd love to have the end of this thing suddenly blow open wide and expose this larger culture of individuals who are aware of the multiverses and can interact with them. So I'm going to suggest that somebody in that organization, in that culture, uh, uh, sees this manifestation of these two primes as an opportunity. That if they ever merge, that maybe the multiverses will all collapse. That we will be forced into a universe again. Uh, that that their existence is the linchpin upon it, which curses Tyler, who has spent the whole novella series to destroying this beast, or the revelation that in order to solve it, I must become one with it, but in doing so, destroy an infinite number of realities minus one. And put your character on the horns of that dilemma and have that be perpetuated by somebody in this culture. I don't know how the fuck you're going to resolve that, but what a huge epic climax to reveal for the final episode and then the resolution that comes. And then suddenly we know, you know, this there's somebody out there that's trying to kill Tyler or, or that wants to exploit him and utilize him in some way. Uh, but it basically opens up and unlatches the possibility of the larger culture. And I think that larger culture that exists within the multiverse there's rich story food there that really for this first series probably just needs to be referenced or or tweaked on just a little bit so we know they're there, we see their power, but they don't necessarily factor in until the very end. So there, that's, that's my suggestion. Make your character Jesus and make the villain the devil. That's, that's my <laughs> suggestion. Awesome, great. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Kane, awesome. Now, you know how this works. You take all this literary gold, scrape away the bullshit, and there was surely some in there, I have no doubt, and and cobble together an awesome series. Release that first novella or whatever format you do it in. Do it through a, a massive publisher or through a PDF on your website. Get it out in the world. And when that happens, come back. Let us know, and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a knight of the interdimensional round table podcast boy and there's a story seed for you right there (laughs) what do you say man you down with that i am awesome very cool we will we will start polishing the knighting swords now uh kane dude this has been awesome you set a brilliant feast for this brainstorm and uh obviously the conversation was 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 intense and some really good stuff came out man thank you so much well thank you everybody for being here i appreciate it i love all you guys work so you're a gentleman sir thank you very much uh myrtle lafferty guest host who will not be it will not be three years between your next (laughs) appearance on the round table uh thank you so much it is it is always a delight to to delve into your perspective of storytelling and there's no better environment to do that than in a brainstorm and you and you brought your a-game ma'am as always thank you so much 
Thank you, Dave. It's always fun to talk to you. <laughs> You're very kind. Thank you. Likewise. And and Al, man of words, uh, bringer of wisdom, thank you as always. Uh, it's, it's always a delight to have you in any of the many chairs here <laughs> on the round table. Uh, uh, and I think we might need to toss you into the, the guest host chair at some point uh, again, because it's been almost as long since you've been in that chair. I would be happy to do it anytime you want me to say the word. That would be awesome. Very cool. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me on, Dave. You betcha. And friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for hitting that play button. Without you, we're just a bunch of people talking on the Skype line, which is awesome and obviously great for us, but we share this stuff so you can catch fire from the inspirational sparks we strike during these brainstorms. And if you're feeling the love, if, you, if you're en fuego with the creative mojo, one of the best ways to express that gratitude for, for, the, for those sparks is to spread the word. Man, not enough people know about the roundtable there is awesomeness happening here every two weeks every week some whatever our schedule is it's happening and more people need to know about it so so write a review on itunes blog about it share a facebook post spread the love and i really need to get a better air conditioner because damn it it's it's like freaking 90 degrees in here again so i'm spent we're all sitting here kind of panting and going holy crap but here's the thing in 14 days two weeks We're going to start this all over again. We're going to have another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom in our ears, a courageous guest writer pitching story awesomeness for brainstorming goodness, more roundtable fabulosity to be had by all. And I know, I know, 14 days. What the fuck, Dave? It's We can't do it any quicker, guys. That's just the way it is. Al, as a consolation prize, what can our listeners do between now and two weeks from now, holy crap, to, to, to just fill that time with awesomeness and make it fly by? Oh, I'll give you two. Okay. Um, first off, as I mentioned earlier, enable your stationary love because you're right. <laughs> you'll have it. Go buy a new book, a new pen, whatever you want, something which is completely unmarked territory, and then mark it. And here's how you do it. You go back, and this is something which we've touched on a lot through both this show and, and the 20 Minutes with Mer. You go back to stuff which you've had in the back of your head for a while. You know, the, the stories you play with when you're bored, the things that you take out and see if the wheels are round this time. And <laughs> write them down. Write down everything you've got about them and see if you can add something else to it. You might not. You might take a look at this thing and go, the, the world really isn't ready for a musical entirely about pork. <laughs> not yet, at any rate. But make the choice. Take and it out. And now that's a challenge. <laughs> challenge accepted. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the gauntlet is dropped. Um, <laughs> In fact, you know what? That's the third one. Musical about Paul. Make it happen. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> Somebody. The, the, the bacon musical. It must it must occur. <laughs> good advice. Good, good advice. That's definitely going to fill at least two weeks of, of creative mojo, sir. Thank you, as always. No problem at all. <laughs> I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness that's tucked up there look for the lost christmas present at the back of the tree look for fabulosity and pork with songs (laughs) and if you look for it god i hope i promise you you will find it we'll be back in two weeks guys i swear until then you guys stay cool stay frothy and stay awesome and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye
This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.